we bring baggage in whether we want to or not. And we see things through these lenses that we've slowly acquired through our life. And we need to acknowledge what those things are. And that can help us. What's up, everyone? It's your boy, Danny Lopriori, and welcome to Off the Cuff. You might know me as the guy from the basement yard, Vine, the Lopriori podcast. And while I love to make people laugh, just know that I've struggled with my mental health for most of my life, just like many of you. Here on Off the Cuff, I will be talking with some of the most impactful influencers, athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and mental health experts to have real, unapologetic conversations about mental health and breaking the stigma that surrounds it. This show is for you, and I'm so happy to have you here. Now, let's talk Off the Cuff. Welcome back to Off the Cuff. I'm your host, Daniel Priori, and today I'm joined by licensed marriage and family therapist. Can't wait to get into that. YouTube creator and author of Are You Okay? A Guide to Caring for Your Mental Health and Traumatized. Miss Katie Morton, mm-hmm. how long have you been a licensed marriage and family therapist? Oh, God. I licensed? Because I started practicing in 09 because you start practicing seeing patients when you're still in grad school. Mm. And I got licensed, I want to say like 2014, 2015, around there. I knew it took me like four or five years to gather all my hours and then take my exam. How long did it take you to kind of get the hang of being a licensed marriage and family therapist? I mean, I feel like I'm still learning. Everybody's different. I think that's why I love the job is because I used to get super bored with other work. Like I worked in a ton of different types of job sales. Obviously, like anybody, I've been like a barista. I've been a waitress. I've been, you know, all the things. Gauntlet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we do all the things, right? But it's always changing. And I, I will say that I definitely, probably for the first year of seeing patients, had that little bit of like discomfort that we all have when we start a new job where you're like, I don't know what I'm doing. Oh my God, these are people's lives. Be really careful. Oh, like that imposter syndrome slash like just getting my feet under me feeling like I knew what I was doing. Have you ever been intimidated by a couple before, like early on? No, I wouldn't say that. I definitely have felt immediately. I'm like, oh, I have to refer them out. <laughs> like either because the issue that they're struggling with is something I don't specialize in and I know right. someone who's a better fit or I'm like, you need a higher level of care. I feel as anyone in any profession who is passionate about their profession, right? There's a sense of pride and ego there that you want to be able to help everybody if you can or accomplish whatever it is you want to accomplish. But I always think about it in like the medical field. It takes guts to be like, yeah, I don't, I don't think I can help you. It does. It's something that I try to check in on my, like with myself all the time because yeah. I think ego is a really big problem in the health community as a whole because it's not about me. It's about mm. my patients and me not being able to help them and be able to pair them with someone else who could, I think is, is actually me helping them. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's yeah, like of course. parallel help. And, and it's some of the most important. And I wish in my life that some doctors, some therapists had been like, I'm not the best fit for you, you know, versus being like, I know everything this yeah. is, gonna, you know, and that can really do a disservice to their clients. My biggest thing, when I always look up a doctor, I look at their bedside manner. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest thing for me. If you have bedside manner, I know that you're going to give me the right information in terms of, oh, yeah, I don't know if I'll be able to help you. Because some doctors, and I'm not saying all doctors, 
but I've had a good amount of doctors who were just so ready to either write a script or toss you, but not in a good way. I've had doctors that have great bedside manner that have told me, hey, listen, I don't think I can do this for you in this moment, but I think I have a colleague who would be really good for you. Yes. And and then you appreciate them more because you're like, Absolutely. oh, they're they're honest about their limitations because we're all human and nobody's expected to know everything, treat everything. Yeah. Bedside manner should be definitely more prioritized in medical school. I think that it's way overlooked. And I'm like you, I've had some really like bad doctors who will just kind of dismiss certain symptoms or be like, oh, that's not a big deal. Like I had this dermatologist, I remember I had like a bump on my shoulder and I was like, it bothers me. And he was like, "Mm." he looked in through like his little lens thing. He's like, I think you're fine. I'm not worried about it. And I said, no, I'm worried about it. Yeah. I'd like you to take a little scrape of it like you did with the thing over here and tell me that that's not cancer because I'm worried. Like, at least take me seriously. I'm the one who has to live with it. You know, I'm I'm the one like uh, measuring this thing with tape at night trying to figure (laughs) out if it's growing or not. 100%. I really fucking hate when doctors do that. I just have to go out there and say it. And I always start every episode, I'm not licensed anything. That's why, you know, one of the reasons why I started this show is to kind of get in the, to, to the mind of other people that are struggling or people who are in the professional field to try and, you know, paint a picture of questions that you can't really ask sometimes because I feel like people are afraid when they go to the doctor. We're always afraid. Yep. I've literally not asked doctors questions because I didn't want them to think I was stupid. Oh, 100%. And they also rush you through. Like they come in, blah, 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 like all scattered. They're flipping through your chart. They're like already asking you questions. And our mind goes like, Boo. like we're like, oh, I forgot. I always tell people, make a note on your phone and just read from it. I don't even yeah. care if it sounds crazy. You're just like, hey, what about, oh, I'm talking about this, this bump yeah. here. Also, I'm taking this medication. I'm feeling this way. Could that be associated with, you know, because we'll forget all those things. I like wait the year for my physical. And I'm like, I'm going to ask about this, this, this. And I forget all of it. And I leave that's and I'm idea. like, shit. I look for like, no, so that's a good idea. I'm going to mm-hmm. do that actually. Because I, every time I leave a doctor's office, I'm like, fuck, I didn't ask him that question. I should have asked them while I was there. Shit. And we never go back. It's not like we're never like, call. No. Yeah. And, you know, it sucks that that's the experience, but. It is. And we have to like adapt and figure out a way to still get our needs met. Speaking of adapt, doctors need to adapt. I'm going on a doctor rant. I'm sorry. That's fine. Doctors (laughs) need to adapt their terminology for dumb people like me. Well, for regular people, we didn't go to medical school. (laughs) You know, it's like, hey, what's up? Took a, a image of his hemothorax unremarkable. I'm like, oh, unremarkable. I know. I'm like, God, it's not unremar- it's not remarkable. They're like, no, that means it's just like there's nothing going on in there that's like to make a remark about. I'm like, you guys can't give me shit like that. I know that reminds me of the office because I love the office episode where Kevin gets like a scrape of his skin and he thinks yes. he has skin cancer. And then he's like, the test was negative. And Michael's like, no, like he has cancer. And he's like, no, it means there's no cancer. It's negative for cancer. He has a fake live strong bracelet <laughs> yes, on. Yes, and he breaks it. <laughs> So fun. goes oh like it's all about Michael. Yeah, exactly. Love the office. I've probably watched the office like six times in its entirety. Same, same. Which is kind of embarrassing. But you know, at times you want to know something too. It's funny that you bring up the office. The office 
is one of those shows that I always kind of watch when I am kind of feeling myself like going, I'm type two bipolar. Okay. But I fringe. So the last time I spoke to my my doctors, my crew, my team, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was like, hey man, like I'm getting these like manic highs too, though. Like where, you know, I'm like up till six in the morning, like doing weird lights of ideas so good so many good ideas yeah yeah i'm like so many good ideas and like uh, i'm a musician too and like i remember i recorded music during a manic episode once and i was like this is the greatest song i've ever heard i listened back to it it was the biggest piece of dog shit i've ever heard ever made in the history of music (laughs) is it possible for people to be like i mean for lack of better words like a bipolar spectrum I mean, yes. One thing, one gripe I have about the DSM or the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders is that everybody's a spectrum and we don't just fit into these like boxes. You know, you can't just be like, oh, you have bipolar two. That means X, Y, Z. No, everybody experiences different levels of it, different layers of it. Like I'll have patients who are bipolar two who stay in depression for like 99.9% of the time. And then they'll flare up and feel energetic and a hypomanic episode for like a week. Yeah. And that's still bipolar too. But then I'll have people who stay in that hypomanic for like six months. So everybody's different and the experience can be so different. And the only real difference between bipolar one and bipolar two is mania. Yeah. And like who decides what's hypo and what's actual mania. My wife can see it. So like my wife would be like, oh, like revving up, baby. Yep. And I, and yes. I feel it as a therapist too. You, yeah. you don't sleep as well. You start talking faster. You oh. start getting real excited about random things. I used to have a patient who used to just like tip people more because he was so, and that was our cue. That was the cue. I was like, hey, if you find yourself spending a little more money than normal, tipping like 22, 25%, like maybe call sure. your psychiatrist. Yeah. Like, well, let's get this under control before it goes full blown. You know, his was full blown mania. So he'd, you know, do all sorts of different things, but it's everybody's different. Yeah. It's wild existence. It really is high functioning depression. Mm -hmm. Is there a spectrum to that as well? And how would you doctor like definition? Okay. So high functioning depression itself is not a diagnosable thing. That's not what we call it. It'd be called major depressive disorder or MDD, which is what most of us just refer to as depression in order to have that. I mean, running through roughly some criteria, to give people an idea, number one, you feel down for most days, all day for at least 14 days. So it's like for two weeks, you're feeling kind of like shit. Mm. Then the next is that you don't really like the things you used to like called anhedonia, but it's kind of just like, I used to love playing music and music sounds like garbage right now. And yeah. like, even if I do it, I don't feel any enjoyment. So we feel that. And then changes in sleep, changes in appetite. Difficulty concentrating, irritability. Those are just some of the like key components and things that I would look for. But when it comes to someone who's high functioning, what that really means is that our level of resilience. So, as a human, everybody's is different, no judgment on levels. It's just like some of us are born with more, some of us have adapted to acquire more tools, more support, stuff like that. So, some of us are able to like white knuckle. Meaning like I can show up for work on time and get my shit done. I get home. I'm wiped. Like I'm I'm fucking exhausted. Yeah. But then I can get up and do it again. And I just do that. And it's not a happy existence. And it by no means diminishes their depression. It just means that 
from the outside, if you saw them on the street, you'd be like, oh, they're doing great. I saw them. They're picking up their dry cleaning. They were at work. Like everything looks fine. It's also like people with like violent tendencies too, that you always hear about. Like every time they do the news interviews, like he was cool. Yeah. Such a nice guy. Saw him every morning. And then you find out he's like this fucking narcissistic, like psych- psychopath. That's the funniest thing to me always is when they do interviews on people that kill somebody. It's always huge as my house. We just had a barbecue, right? He was perfectly <laughs> fine. It's wild to think about. Have you ever given breakup advice to a couple? Are you allowed to do that and be like, hey, like this isn't working? Like, not something that's obvious, like physical abuse going on, verbal abuse, yeah. but just being like, eh, I don't know about you two. I think in a therapist way. Yeah, so in yeah. A therapist in way, an unremarkable way. Yeah, exactly. Right, <laughs> in a very yeah, negative, yeah. the test was negative. That's negative. You guys are <laughs> negative for chemistry. <laughs> It'd be more along the lines of not necessarily saying they should break up, but giving them homework to kind of decide that because you suspect it. That's what, as a therapist in general, that's what we do. We give you homework to come around to the hypothesis that we already have. So let's say I thought this couple was like doomed for failure and it just was like terrible. Their communication was off. Their sex life was terrible. Their money management was different. Their parenting style is different. Like everything's like fighting against them. I would give them homework, something to the effect of like, hey, I want you to take some time and write up what ideal situation you have, you would imagine your relationship to have. So like if rose colored glasses dream a dream, what would it look like? Now I want you to put a list together of what's actually happening in your relationship. And I want you to be honest in this inventory about what places you need to give more. So that'd be like the first stage. And then like the next week, I'd be like, now I need you to decide if you're willing to give that more or not. Uh, because I think the problem is you got the big bucks. <laughs> I was in your job. I just feel like, yeah, I don't know. You guys probably just like call it quits it's probably not working out yeah this isn't gonna work out it's gonna end yeah. terribly for both of you <laughs> yeah i don't i just don't see it i'm sorry i don't see it <laughs> so the next thing i wanted to ask you as well is i just broke up with my barber oh yeah that's hard yeah <laughs> I know that sounds silly but it's hard it is you know and uh, i'm already seeing someone else mm-hmm. i felt like i could have went about it better maybe just giving him the bin like hey man like listen like you know, made up something to make him feel better about it. But I just kind of just like kind of ghosted him. So like, I'm kind of in correlation with that. Like, have you been broken up with in the office? Yes. But in therapy, it's different, I guess, because they have to like make another appointment or cancel, you know, or they get right. charged. Yeah. They can't ghost. Yeah. It doesn't really work in the same way, but I mean, I've had tons of patients like come in for one session and either they can't afford it. And they're like, Oh, I just, I just needed to get some advice. Thanks for the tools. I got to go. And I'm like, I totally respect that. Or I've been wanting to refer them out or they are like, Hey, do you have anybody else? That's a little more this way. I'm looking for that. I mean, the thing about being a therapist is it's not about me. So if someone doesn't like the way that I offer advice or the way that my office is, or even my style of therapy, I'm not going to take offense. I'm going to be glad you spoke up. (laughs) I would be so butthurt if someone was like, yeah, I don't know. I'm just not feeling you, dude. And I'm just like, (laughs) fuck. I was like, this sucks. Everybody's different. Like you don't vibe with everybody and want everyone to be your best friend. Right. right, And a therapist kind of has to be not a best friend, obviously. The thing that the click with the therapist is like the click you have with a new friend where you're like, I like this person. I don't know why, but like, they're cool. I want to call them. I want to hang out again. Like we feel that. 
And you should feel that in a therapisty way where you're like, oh, I feel good to just be there. Like, oh, I'm exhausted, but like, I-, I can't wait to talk to them again. You oh. should have a little bit of that. And if you don't, that's an indication that it, you know, it might not be that best fit. And so as a therapist, I think any therapist out there would tell you like, we don't take it personally because I want you to have that. It's almost like, I don't want some dude to date me if he's not into me and just like hang around and make me think he is if he's not like, you know, it doesn't benefit anybody. You've been doing this since 2011. So you've been in the game for a minute. Have you kind of seen situations like that? Obviously stigma is, is getting there, you know, it's better. We're getting better though. That's all that matters, right? We're getting better. What do you think is the biggest change you've seen just in the overall mental health field Mm. in the last 12 years? Yeah, I think the biggest is just more conversations, period. Right. Like when I first put my my very first YouTube video out in December of was it 2010 or 2011, people were like essentially like, what the fuck? They're like, she's crazy. Yeah, well, they're like, who are you? Why would you put this stuff out? You know, yeah. I mean, there were people that were supportive, obviously. This never like, 100%. Yeah, yeah. I would follow people on Twitter and like just people that were talking about stuff I was talking about. So like self-injury urges, suicidal thoughts. I'm your gal. Follow, follow. Let's, I'll give you some tips and hopefully offer some helpful advice. And they were like, absolutely not. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's this a little is, much. No. Yeah. They're like, you're too much. Please go away. Which is fair. I was like way too early to the party. But I think that in general, that's like normalized. Like there's a ton of other therapists creating content, which is awesome because like I said, I'm not going to be the best fit for everybody. And no, no, you know, I'm not upset about that. I also think that conversations about actually going to a therapist have improved. And one random silver lining to COVID, probably the only silver lining was that it's now more available because it's online. Uh, Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Other question that I had. Mm-hmm. And I always forget to ask this question, how we were talking about how we forget to ask doctors mm-hmm. questions <laughs> for medical professionals. Is there CBT for couples? I mean, technically, yes, because the tools could be applied across both. I think in general, cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT is really, really great at helping us recognize two things. Number one, the automatic thoughts that we have about ourselves and our situation. And number two, kind of how that ties to our past. Mm. So it, it brings this level of awareness. And I do think it could be really incredibly helpful in couples counseling because a lot of times the like problems that we're having with our partner are problems that we've had because of our childhood or like the way that our parents talk to us or even possibly yes. our very first relationship or our last relationship. Like we bring baggage in whether we want to or not. And we see things through these lenses that we've slowly acquired through our life. And we need to acknowledge what those things are. And that can help us better engage with our partner in a way that is more loving and understanding and comes from a place of compassion for not only for ourselves, but for them. Yeah, for sure. I think the hardest thing is to, and we touched on it a little bit too, pride and ego. There's a lot of pride and ego in relationships too. Mm -hmm. And to feel like you failed right? Like I failed my partner. I mean, and it can go, there's so many layers to that. Yeah. Like I've seen, heard all sorts of things. Like for instance, men can feel an extreme pressure to be the one that provides. And if their wife makes more, there's a big ego bus there. And that that can cause a lot of random things, you know, women, if let's say they have a miscarriage or they struggle to get pregnant, oh, that's their role. Like, fuck, it, it like eats them up. Right. 
Yeah, societal norms. Societal yes. norms are tough in relationships for sure. Mm-hmm. But then there's just the fact that like to admit to friends and family that you're not together anymore. Oh, yeah. like that can be hard. And especially if you've been married and you have a family you've created, like to divide that up. Oh, who it, broke you up know, with who? Who did what? Did you cheat? You know, like I can't tell you how many of my friends, I think it's because of my age. My husband and I have been married for 10 years. I'll turn 40 in a month. It's just like so many of our friends are getting divorced now. I don't know. It's like the era of divorce, unfortunately. Three out of the five have said to me that the first thing one of their parents said was who cheated? Like that was their. Again, society norm. It's old school thinking. You know what I mean? It's Mm -hmm. uh, one of those things. Do you think that divorce has a stigma to it? Yes. I definitely do. Hopefully we're getting better at it. And people also are maybe hopefully not jumping into marriage so quickly. Right. I was just talking to my husband about this because we didn't get married till, I mean, we dated for five years, but I was 30 and he was 38. And even then I, I, I just still, got married. I'm 34. And so. I feel like that's a healthy age. I'm not saying I don't want to ever put a blanket statement where like, you should not get married. Like, of course. But, yeah. But I do think personally, I've gone through different stages of myself and it wasn't until probably my mid to late twenties that I feel like I truly had an idea. Don't fully know, but an idea of who I was and what was important to me as an independent person. I had a chance to do my own things. I had a chance to thrive and to suffer on my own. I think that's important. I feel like if we jump out of our parents' home and I know culturally things are different, no judgments with people. This is just you know, my thoughts on so it. I, but... I tell people to live at home and forever. When, when <laughs> ask me. I'm just like, uh, you know, I'm living with my dad. And like, I'm like, dude, stay there till you figure it out. Don't just go jump out into the world with no plan. It's, it's. Well, boring. you should have a plan, but I feel like part of that's growth and development. You also that's... shouldn't get married right out of your family's house. That's kind of the step there. I think there should be some chance or opportunity really to do it on your own and know you can. Cause For I feel sure. like with that comes a healthier person to be able to pick a partner, let alone to be able to sustain a relationship where you're equals and you can figure it out and you know, you know, you'll sort it out. Yeah. I love when professionals are on the show because it's a free session for me. So thank you. (laughs) Anytime. In all seriousness, I do love when professionals are on here because I've always found that when it comes to mental health, the biggest problem with the people that are struggling from it is how am I going to articulate this? And especially when you're trying to articulate stuff to like your friends who like aren't professionals. Yeah. It could get dicey, you know, like guys, especially guys would be like, Oh, like, you know, man up, like stop being a bitch. You know what I mean? I'm just like, nah, dude, like I'm sad. Yeah. It's not like that. I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, uh, no, they just be like, dude, stop being gay. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm sad. Yeah, I was that's like, not you know, what's I'm happening like, here. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gay, but I'm yeah. I'm sad. And what if I was gay? Maybe yeah. that's why I'm sad. You know, and now I had to yeah. deal with friends of you telling me shit like this. You know, it was just so hard growing up, like in that kind of situation. Do you feel treating men is like a tougher task because of like the stigmas with mental health and men? But like, are are we a harder nut to crack? No no pun intended. Yeah. I wouldn't say you're a harder nut to crack. You just don't come in as often. Yeah, it's true. Like, and I think it is because of some of those conversations, like just man up, like, don't be a pussy, like whatever people tell you, or like, 
it's not becoming of a man to be this way. And I, I think any woman out there would tell you it's actually way more becoming like, you know, the joke online now is like, when someone asks me on a date, I'm like, give me the name and number of your therapist. You know, like, I want to make sure yeah, you yeah. got your shit locked up. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. like, I think in general things are changing, but men are a little more guarded. And I think a lot of that has to do with like shame thinking that like something's wrong with them because they're feeling some kind of way or they're going through something like that, that shouldn't be part of their life story. They can feel bad about it. I lived and worked in LA for like 20 years and a lot of certain cultures like Persian, the Persian population is very large there. And a lot of the men that I would see from that community had a really hard time admitting that they had panic attacks or that they were struggling because that wasn't what their cult, like it wasn't okay. And so it would take them a little longer to tell me why they're like, you know, what brings you here today? What are you struggling with it? They would be like, Oh, I don't know. Like my mom. And they just would like kind of dance around it for a lot longer. Whereas like a girl in her twenties would be like, listen, and like verbal diarrhea, everything that's happening. (laughs) Yeah. So listen, you've amassed over one point, pretty much 3 million subscribers, right? You've been on CNN, the E news, the doctor. (laughs) In USA Today, The Hollywood Reporter, Glamour UK, Bustle, Insider, Huff Post, and a Shorty Award. You were a finalist <laughs> in 2020 and 2021. How does this exposure stress your professional life? It's luckily because I started on YouTube at the time that I did. And it's mental health educational content. I've never had like this viral hit where all of a sudden my life changed. I was also an adult before I got online. Thank God. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. like we'll get into that for sure. Uh, yeah. Oh. So it it does add a layer of conversations with patients, but I have to be truthful. Only two patients over my years being online and stuff have mentioned like, oh hey, I saw a video of yours. Like most of them have no idea. Oh, wow. good for you. I will tell them sometimes like, because a lot of, like you were talking about, like, just how do we talk about depression? How do we define it? How is it diagnosed? If I'm talking to someone about a new bipolar two diagnosis, I might send them to my video and say, Hey, I have a video where I walk through it. Take a look. It's only six minutes long. If you have follow-up questions, bring them next week, but that's your homework. Cause a lot of times it's just the understanding of what we're going through that's missing. And so that can be kind of a, a bridge between sessions. Oh, no, I listen. I wish my therapist was famous because <laughs> I'd just be like, oh, like I could just go to their YouTube channel and get like 10 free sessions, you know? What yeah, because you already have that relationship and you're like, they're talking like, right yeah, to me. I know them. This is a video visit and I don't even have to inform my insurance about it. <laughs> exactly. I don't have to put a claim in. Like, this is great. Mm-hmm. You know, it becomes one of those things. Solution focused therapy. Mm-hmm. School me on that, please. What is that? Because I get notes from my producer and all the time, like I'll go in and like, I want to look it up. I'm like, no, because if I look it up, I'm acting like I know what something is. Mm, yeah. Be one of those people who has no fucking idea what it is. Well, that's the interesting thing, right? We don't know what we don't know. So it's hard to yeah. even search things properly. You're like, I don't even know what questions to ask. Let me tell you something. I'm, I'm the type of person, if I read a page of a book, I'm like, I don't remember any of that. <laughs> no, I've always had attention type stuff. Probably part of your depression. Yeah, for sure. And then just yeah. being able to have to have things process forever. Like they don't they just don't stay in my brain forever. My yeah. short term memory has always been really, really bad. How's your sleep? Terrible. 
that's probably part of it. That like not not to therapize you. No, but... no, 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 no. I, I have a um, my sleep study is next week, and I'm over. Oh, the, I'm over perfect. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, I can't wait. Because just to get nerdy with you for a little minute, when love our it. sleep is really poor. So I love the movie Inside Out. If you haven't watched it or yeah. somebody hasn't watched, it's, it's a beautiful like animation of how memory works. They do a great sure. job. It's yeah, not perfect, but it's beautiful. And it like, it gives me something I can always reference with people. I'm like, watch this movie. This is so those little marbles of the memories, they don't get fully formed or filed away until we sleep. Mm. And so essentially I would assume like to use the inside out, like visual what's happening in your brain is you have all these little marbles that are like half formed and they just kind of shot off of the machine and no one's there taking them and putting them away. So then later you're like looking around and there's like a shit ton of marbles and you're like, I don't know where any of this went. I don't know what this is. I don't know what day that was. It's so true. Cause like (laughs) even like little stuff too, like I'll forget why I'm in a room sometimes. Mm. I mean, that happens to everybody, but if it's happening like regularly, yeah, it, 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 yeah, it's all sleep. I know that it's it's all connected to how I sleep. Like sometimes like well, I'm 34 now, so maybe and I, I've had like four or five concussions in my day. So who oh, knows? that's don't don't discredit that. TBI is a big deal. It can yeah, traumatic yeah. brain injury. Yeah, it yeah, can affect. I, I played football, fell off a fence, like a nine foot fence under my head. Fell uh, ice skating one time. I, I've had four that I know were diagnosed. Who knows how many other ones? Well, yeah, because you can have small ones, especially as you've had them, you grow more sensitive to it and they can occur with essentially with less impact. Oh, for sure. It's like um, it's like a a fighter that's never been knocked out. Now he gets knocked out all the time. His, his brain just hasn't recovered. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I watch a lot of UFC with my husband. So, yes, some guy will never get knocked out. Then he gets a concussion and then boom, 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 you know, I have buddies that fight for the UFC and I ask them all the time. I'm like, do you guys like ever just like forget things and he's like yeah sometimes sometimes i do and i was like do you ever get worried about that he's like yeah but like you know it's i got a couple more years left of me and like we'll cross that bridge when we get to it it's like yeah the craziest thing about tbis traumatic brain injury i'm gonna try and sound smart is how it could actually affect who you are on a day-to-day basis in terms of you could become more violent you could become more depressed you could become more manic just from like your brain touching your skull wall. It's your prefrontal cortex for the most part. It's like this front forehead, which almost always happens because if we get hit, if we whack our head in the back, our brain flies forward, it goes back and then forward, right? We usually are hitting front and back. I mean, yes, it can hit anywhere, but for a lot of people and this prefrontal cortex is a lot of like our personality is the best way I can describe it. It helps us put together organized thought, plan for the future, put together sentences, so like forgetting words and being like, that's definitely one I need to work on too. <laughs> Putting together <laughs> sentences is a big one. You're doing great. No, but it's, I'm you trying, know, trying. but we like, we take things for granted. And then when you have an injury, you're like, Oh, something's extra hard for me. Well, I'm 34. I was kind of that last era of like athletes, I guess that you would get your bell rung. And uh-huh. that's, we would just say that. I'm yeah. like, no, dude, I just had a minor concussion in practice. Yeah, like, and we I had an injury. Every day. Yeah. Every day, my head would go. Yeah. And I'm like, whoa. I was like, you know, and I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, no, just give me a playoff. I'll get back in there. It's it's kind of wild. I don't even think they'll be playing professional football in like 50 years. 
I don't, or hockey. My husband's from Canada. We watch hockey all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the concussion protocol, I'm like, we should have a protocol, but what about like trying to not have it be that damaging? <laughs> how about? Well, how it's like, yeah. Just be like, hey, guys, like, listen, we're all about like concussion, like awareness, but you guys could still fight each other. I know. <laughs> I'm just like, uh, it's whatever. That's one of the main reasons I love hockey. One, they let them fight each other and then they shake hands after. Yep. Totally. <laughs> They're like, Hey, buddy. Sorry, I got a little riled up there for a minute. Yeah, but we're good. Yeah, it's, it's classic sportsmanship. That's why I like hockey is mm-hmm. because they still kind of do that. <laughs> Narcissism. Yes. On a professional level, what do you think your radar is being able to spot a narcissist? Is it something that's easy to do? Is it like, are some people better at hiding it or are they so narcissistic that they don't even like give a shit about hiding it? depends on the person that's what's like fucked up so there are like covert narcissists and those are probably the hardest to detect because the one thing people always forget is people with antisocial personality disorder psychopaths sociopaths whatever you want to call them as well as narcissists like they're really charismatic oh yeah yes because then like narcissists want the attention like sociopaths want to get something from you so Hmm. either way it, it behooves them to be really friendly and So depending on how good they are at that, it can be really hard to spot them up front. The one thing I will be honest, I get like the heebie-jeebies around people who don't have empathy for others and kind of look like dead in the eyes. Like, you know, you're like emoting. And we've all seen those people. You're like, whoa, like they can be on TV. It can be like on Instagram. You're like, that person gave me the willies. And I get that. And that I feel like I've gotten better at noticing more quickly. But the covert people will still trick me too, just like anybody else, you know? Covert narcissist. Mm-hmm. I, feel like, I feel like I know a couple of those. You might. I mean, things to look out for is if they, like, you rack your brain, you can never think of them apologizing for something. And saying, mm-hmm. I'm sorry you feel that way, that's not an apology, by the way. Because they're, like, right. what, they're apologizing for your emotional response? That doesn't make any sense. Oh, yeah. I know a couple of those too. Uh, well, I'm sorry that made you feel that way. Yeah. Like, you're like, that's the most unapology ever. Yeah, that's going to make me want to beat the shit out of you. Those are the worst apologies in the world. It just, yeah, it makes you feel worse somehow. You're like, you apologize, but now I feel worse than I did before you apologized. Yeah, now you're gaslighting me to think like I'm like I'm wrong somehow. It's, yep. Yeah. Up. BPD, borderline mm-hmm. personality disorder. What's the scientific definition? Please help me out. Yeah, so when we're coming to diagnose BPD, first of all, it's a more pervasive disorder, meaning, you know, your depression and hypomania will kind of come and go. This yeah. like hangs around all the time. It's always there. And that's why they call them personality disorders, even though I don't love that term because it feels very like shaming, blaming, yeah. but, but whatever. So BPD is essentially diagnosed with, for people who have, I mean, I guess if we're going to go DSM. I'm like, I was going to try to explain it in like a way that you can feel, but so essentially we're super impulsive. We feel easily dysregulated emotionally. So things that happen to us, we have a really intense fear of abandonment, whether it's real or imagined. We always worry people are going to leave us. So any slight of that is like, oh, we feel like so wounded, so pained by it. And when we're pained, we can lash out right at people. We can lash out at ourselves. We can self-injure. My BPD patients tend to manipulate a lot. And I know that word has a bad connotation, but it really just means that that's the only way we know how to self-soothe is by manipulating people to act the way that we need them to, to feel better. Is people pleasing always a negative thing though? I mean, 
inherently no, but yes, because of usually where it comes from. So I'm a recovering people pleaser. So I'll yeah, just like I'm, I'm trying. Yeah. I, I I used to always want to like make like people happy and used to like weigh on my emotions all the time. Like now I honestly I don't give a fucking shit anymore. But you, you have know, to let it go. It's exhausting. Yeah, it's rough. So you're recovering as well. This is another great yes. topic too, is because people see people with a license or doctorate and all this stuff, and they're like, they got it all together. <laughs> they're in the office too. Yes, I have my own therapist. I'm in my own therapy. I've been in therapy <laughs> off and on since I was about 15. So long oh, wow. time. Good for you. Yeah, I feel like if I'm going to offer it to people, I should be able to do it myself too. But when it comes to people pleasing, that usually comes from a place of either. And there's a ton of reasons this can happen, but I'll give you kind of like the like root of it. It comes from a place of feeling anxious if other people around us aren't happy. Hmm. And so people pleasing is truly, and I learned this from my therapist, this isn't something I come up with on my own. People pleasing is actually a form of manipulation, not in a bad way, but we're doing it to soothe, right? If you're happy, then I can feel okay. Because if you're not happy, I just can't deal, right? And that's really our experience. And that can be be because it makes us anxious. That can be because that meant it led to abuse when we were younger. That could be because that meant that we weren't going to get the attention that we needed because everybody needs attention. That's not a bad thing. We're humans. It's an actual neurological need. You know, there's all these pieces to it. And so in order for me to feel okay, you have to feel okay. So I'm going to try to get you to feel okay. Mm. So many bars, so many bars. (laughs) I'm going to ask you a couple man centric questions here for all the men listening who are married or in relationships. What's one thing that they could start today to be a better communicator with their partner? Number one, if your wife or your partner, whoever you're with, starts coming to you with a problem before you try to fix it, ask, would you like me to listen and just empathize with you? Or do you want a solution? Because that I feel like is one of the biggest issues in, you know, guy girl relationships is that men want to fix problems and women often just want to be heard and be empathized with meaning like, I feel you, that must suck. I'm so sorry. That's all we want. And so before you offer that quote unquote solution that you've already come up with, because you can't help yourself ask if they want it or not. And I think that 10 out of 10, that can help. My second tip is to check in with your partner in a real way, at least once a day. Mm. And I mean that in kind of two pieces, check in with touch. I know dude, like men tend to like touch more than women anyways, but nobody would dislike a hug or a rub on the back. How are you doing, babe? How was your day? Like checking in really, and then sharing a little bit about your day and not just that I'm fine. Like, I don't want those, those, those conversations aren't actually helpful. They're just, yeah, I'm fine. And we move on. Like take five minutes to actually check in with your partner and see how they're doing. Is there anything I could do to make this easier for you? And again, I don't mean this, that like you're the only one that should be giving. It's going back and forth, but we have to make time to check in with each other because I find the biggest problem with couples when they come in to see a therapist is that they haven't been communicating and checking in with each other for years. Right. And it's not because they don't care about each other. It's because they don't really take a minute to say like, hey, how are you doing? How was that tough conversation you had with your boss? Or did you talk to your sister? I know you've been worried about her or anything. Just listen, like ask real questions. You know, I feel also it's hard for men because 
men and women are both driven by sex, but I think depending on the relationship, I feel like the more sexual person will go to those kind of lengths to make sure like almost like foreplay starts in the morning. And it does. And, if you and want your partner. To, yep. Yep. You know, it's like little stuff, but the goal should obviously be to have a sustainable, maintainable, enjoyable relationship. Like mm-hmm. not to just like, you know, bust a nut. Yeah. But also like sex is important too, right? Like it's a Very, huge piece yeah. of connection. And I think men are driven by it more probably biologically. Cause I mean, we could say like, Oh, we have to reproduce. And so in order for that to happen, you do have to bust a nut that has to happen. Yeah. So, but I think we could also say that like, and you guys men- get that week off. <laughs> exactly. Yay. <laughs> are, what, what are they going to like implement like women? Hey, first day of your period, sit this one out, kid. <laughs> I love the trend where they were having men hook up to the machine that like simulates cramps. And they were oh. like, they couldn't even handle it. Like stage one. I was like, wow. I'll see my wife go to work on the first day of her period. I'm like, are you fucking crazy? We, we've been doing it for years, man. We just suck. They got to pass some kind of legislation, at least first day. Yeah. Help a girl out, you know? Yeah. This is getting <laughs> but I, um, but with, with the sex thing, though, I think the reason it's more important for men is because men tend to need more physical touch. Like we talk about love languages. Physical yeah. touch tends to be higher on men's radar than it is on women. And so I don't think of it as just like, oh, I just got to have sex. It's more like you're actually trying to get a need met so you feel more connected. Yeah. So, no, you know, no, true. no shame. I'm definitely more physical than my wife. Last night, I literally like picked my wife up like over my head and just mm-hmm. like walked around with her for a second. And then I asked myself, I'm like, why do I love like that? You know, in, in my mind, I'm like, oh, no, this is kind of kind of how it's I, playful. I, it's physical touch. It's yeah, it's very much a guy way of interacting. Like even with children, dads tend to be the ones that like swing them around. The mom's like, well, we'll yeah. be careful. You're going to dislocate their arms. And they're like, they're fine. It's part of why we're different. Yeah, 100 percent. And I would agree. I will pick my wife up more playfully. OK, I promise <laughs> okay. it will only stay playful in your professional opinion. Can a man cheat on a partner and still actually say they really love them? Yes, I do think so. I think that some, many times people, especially men, but women, it's a little bit trickier because we're a little bit trickier, but it depends on the woman. I just feel like women are more, we're more emotional. So it could more be more emotional little... and more strategic with who they choose as even as a life partner or what they do in their extracurricular activities. Yeah. I think we're a little more dodo ish in terms of being like sex now. Thank you. Yay. Yeah, I agree. But again, some women would argue like, no, I'm more that way. And you're like, that's fine. You do you. Yeah, I mean, we're going on percentages here. Yes. And by and large, you are right. And I think men can be impulsive. They can be drunk. They cannot have felt connected with their partner. And just going again for that physical connection, probably immediately regretted it and felt not good. I think where I would draw the line is that if it was a one time up, but if it's repeated, then that whole, you can't, don't claim that. Don't say you love me and you're like sleeping with someone else for six months. That's not how this works. A little much. Yeah. Yes. And I'm not condoning behavior. Like the me as a married woman, like murderous lock, you know, burn his shit in the lawn. But the therapist in me is like, as a couple, you have to like decide you're going to move past it and you have to be honest with each other. And there's like certain things you can do, like giving up all of your privacy as the person who cheated for a while so that you can slowly earn that trust back, like give them access to your phone, 
letting him like see where you are, you know, doing that for a period that's agreed upon. But yeah, I do believe that there can be like infidelity and the marriage can still survive or the relationship can still survive. And there could still have been love there. You know, and I'm not saying I'm not quoting you. I'm saying Mm -hmm. if I was in your position Mm -hmm. as a, you know, I'm sitting there with a pen and paper. I'm doing my thing. I'm licensed. Still a man though, right? Mm-hmm. So like, if I hear like, well, I cheated on him like while he was in the Navy. Oh, mm-hmm. then I'm just like, this goddamn bitch. Like in my mind, the guy outside <laughs> of the thing. You don't even know him, but you're <laughs> like, I feel for you. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it would be so hard for me to be like, okay, all right. So why'd you do that? But in my mind, I'm like, damn, dude, if this was me, I, I don't know. Do you have to find yourself being like, all right, like from time to time, not in those situations. And if you can like share, like mm-hmm. not burn stuff on the lawn, let's figure out the scientific reason behind it. Was that harder for you in the beginning, obviously, than it is now? Was that something that you thought would be easier to deal with or harder to deal with? I think I thought it'd be harder because there is a weird thing. I can't really describe it other than like any job we have when we go into like work mode. Like when I was a waitress, you're like, hi, welcome to like you turn on, like you're like an employee, you're doing your job. Right. Being a therapist is really no different in that. I remember I used to walk to my office. It was like two blocks from my apartment. So I'd like walk out and that walk, I'd feel like I'd not transform because that sounds like very dramatic, but it's like, I would like, okay, it's time to be therapist me, you know, get all my stuff situated, get my, my office all set up fold all the blankets, fluff all the, get everything. Okay. You know, like now I'm going to do this. And so I feel like that transition is really key because I go from being the friend that my friends know where I would be that I'd be like, fucking create, like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah. Or or like this relationship is never going to work. This is terrible. Like I am that person, but then therapist, it's just a different me. I put on a different hat. I'm thinking in a different way. I'm not jumping to conclusions. I'm not judging you. And I'm there to try to work with you on solutions that feel good. So it's just weird. And it, I think I didn't realize it would be like that. I thought I'd have to like fight it more, but it wasn't really that hard. The craziest thing about therapists is that they'll let you lie. Mm -hmm. And then you come to the next one Mm -hmm. and they're like, Hey man, and they call you out. (laughs) What's what's going on with that? Mm -hmm. They try to see if you tell the story the same way. Yep. You know, I had to learn because I wasn't sharing as much as I should in therapy when I first started going. Mm-hmm. He was like, okay, all right, all right, I hear you. All right. Then the next time he's like, oh, what was that story you told me last week? And I was You're just like, like, oh, yeah. And he was like, oh, all right, well, like six of those things weren't there when you told me it last time. Mm-hmm. I was just like, yeah, man, I, I don't know. It's just been kind of a hard time. He's like, all right, this is what we're supposed to talk about. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. so I'm going to throw a couple of buzzwords at you and I'm going to ask you if they're okay or not okay or spectrum okay is it okay to be jealous in a relationship i mean spectrum but i really think that that's something i would want to know more about and we'd have to dive into it because i do think it it's it's usually i always like to think of these like weeds in your lawn Mm -hmm. and they're like indicators of potential like a whole root system or maybe it's just a weed and we pull it out and so i want to know more about it to understand if it's like connected to bigger things if it's like more about your self-worth your identity, your security in the relationship. Is this a past relationship we're bringing into present? You know, there's things like that. Okay. Selfishness. I think, unfortunately, we've given that like such a bad rep. I'm the same way. It gets a negative connotation. You got to know when to be selfish in life. 
Yeah. You have to, again, like one of my favorite quotes, and I forget who said it is you can't light yourself on fire to keep someone else warm. And so if that means that you have to say no, and that disappoints someone, yeah, that sucks. We'd love to please everybody all the time, but then that's that people pleasing. And then I'm just doing that. So I feel better. Right. So there is a balance. And I feel like there is a level of selfishness that we each need to keep in relationships because it's actually healthy independence. And there, you don't, you shouldn't need your partner. You should want them to be around and feel like they make your life better. Fighting. Verbal. Spectrum. Is fighting healthy? I think it's a spectrum. Depends on the like couple and what fighting entails. I think fighting itself has a bad connotation too, but I would say like a healthy discussion should always be available. You should be able to disagree, hash it out. If you're name calling, shaming, blaming, saying like, you're just like your mother, like you're throwing everything out there. You're, saying, you're a pussy. And then I'm like, well, you're a bitch. Yeah. Then that's actually not healthy because you're you're honestly doing more harm than good. If you find yourself using absolutes, like you always do that. You never show up for me. Like, well, 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 let's take the break. Nobody always or never does anything. Yeah, Don't absolute me. Or if you're laundry listing back in 2017, <laughs> like that doesn't help anything. It's true. Yeah. You have to take a break. Cause that means you're an emotion mind. You can say shit. You don't mean do things you don't mean. Let's instead wait until we're like in wise mind where we can like actually have a conversation. Okay. Privacy. Hmm. Spectrum. This is going to maybe rub people the wrong way, but it's completely healthy to not know everything about your partner. I don't care how long you've been together. I think having a little bit of your own privacy and independence is healthy. As long as it's not hurting anybody, it's not harming the relationship, right? Like there's probably tons of stuff my husband doesn't know about me because I don't let him into my inner world in the way I do my best friend. Yeah. Those are different people. And it's not a saying anything about either relationship. They're just different and they should be right. My husband shouldn't be my best friend and my husband and my conf everything. Right. I need to get things from different people. And that doesn't make our relationship any less strong or loving. So I think there is a healthy level of, of privacy that's needed for every human. So now I have a couple of quick, true or false questions. Okay. Okay. I feel like um, I'm on a game show. I like this. Yeah, right? You, know, it's like, you get on a lot of these shows and it's like, tell me what this is and what this is. And it's like, we've done that on other episodes. I like to know the people that I'm actually like interviewing. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. There's a lot of people. We're all individuals. So it's like, if we put all these things into one basket, it's like, then why have more than one therapist? Fair. True. You know? Love it. Why have more than one friend? You know, uh-huh. it's, I have different friends for different purposes in my Same. life. Same. Same. And you should. I have a confidant that like, hey, man, shit's going down. <laughs> yeah. You know, I have one of those. Mm-hmm. And then I also have like, yeah, I feel like crying. And this is my my crying homie. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I'll hit yeah. him up. And people always be like, uh, oh, like you think like, no, because we cry to each other. Yeah. If it's it's, it's a joint. Yeah. If it's mutual, you know, I don't ever like to put my baggage on people, but sometimes it's like, hey, man, different strokes are different folks. I got different friends for different ends. That's just what it is. And that's, I feel like that's healthy. And you need your friend you go out with, like you want to have a good time, your good time, Charlie. Everybody needs that one. You need to have different people who can meet different needs. That's why having a full support system is important. Huge, huge. I've been blessed to be able to have that pretty much my whole life. So I'm lucky in that. Okay, here we go. True or false? Have you ever ended a session early because you had to go to the bathroom no false i'm pretty good at like i feel like you guys are always in there just like "Uh uh-huh okay 
All right. I mean, I will be honest. My, water. My, my bladder, it has about an hour, hour and a half limit. So I guess if there was like an extra like crisis long session, maybe I have had patients have to take a break. They're like, I got to pee. I'll be back. Yeah. But I've never had to do that. I'm going to. Yeah. I'll be like, I'll come with you. Most awkward awkward peeing session of your entire life. Uh Have you ever feared for a person's safety in a relationship? Mm, false no thank god i have had other colleagues struggle because we have you know we can communicate with each other to assist on certain issues i have had other people go through that i think because most of my work tends to revolve around like borderline personality disorder self-injury eating disorders i used to treat a ton of anxiety i had quite a few bipolar patients i think by and large it tends i know it tends to be more about just managing their relationship with themselves. Mm. And I haven't had anybody ha- be in an abusive relationship actively that they made me aware of either. Right. right? right. Yeah. That's like the last thing you could do is, is really assume in your position. Right. When it comes to stuff like that, it's yeah. like, you have to tell me like, yeah. You know. And I can ask questions, but if you're not forthcoming of information, I'm not going to jump to conclusions. Right. So yeah. True or false. You're a human lie detector. <laughs> I mean, is there a spectrum? I feel like yeah, you can put spectrum. spectrum on it. It's a yeah. middle. It's like a maybe. I mean, it's trolls. It's trolls. It's trolls. It's very trolls. I, I mean, I'm good at reading people. My husband forever is always like, I always want to look for your bullshit meter because like yeah. we meet people and I'm like, mm. or I'll be like, I really like them. You know, it's not always the first time I meet them, but in the like one, two, maybe three interactions, I like kind of know where I stand with people and if I can trust them a little bit, but. I definitely get like, I've been lied to and not known or had friends that were like, you know, phony people. I feel like, yeah. you know, it's just growing, but I'd like to think I'm more, I'm better at that than other people. All right. Trolls. I like that. I like mm-hmm. that. <laughs> True or false. I've lied about my profession because I didn't want people to ask me questions. True. True. <laughs> All the time. I just what are some say- of your go-tos? What are some I- of your go-to fake jobs? I'm in marketing. Nobody cares about that. No, just like, oh, cool. All right. Well, see. Yeah. Because I tried accountant and people like are like, oh, I've got a question for you, like immediately. And I was like, oh, that one's not good. See the Roth IRA. And I know. And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> oh. So usually marketing or in sales. And people just don't say anything. And I was in sales for a short time, just out of grad school when I was I was working to gather hours on the weekends. And that was my day job. So and that's trolls too. It's trolls, you know, so it's easy to like lie about it. But yeah, a lot of cocktail parties, people, I don't do it as much anymore because now I'm online. So right, like that sucks if you, know, you get caught in your own lie. They're like, but aren't yeah. you this person? You're like, Fuck. <laughs> yes, I am. You know, hey, listen, deny, see, die sometimes. I mean, I know that's not the healthiest thing to do, but you know, sometimes <laughs> if it's in a trolls, it's, it's one of those things. It's trolls. It's trolls. Yeah. True or false. I've cried after a session. Hmm. True. Only one time a patient disclosed something that was really painful to hear. And I just felt for her, Right. But you, you know, hold it together for them, hold the space for them. It's not too much. And it wasn't that it was too much. It was just such a horrific experience that it made me feel really sad that like at such a young age, she had to go through that. That was really devastating for me. Yeah. But only once I think that because there's healthy boundaries in places that therapists were obviously still human, 
but you know, sometimes it gets to you and it is hard and life can be shitty and it sucks to, when you, because as a therapist, you care for your patients, you know, it's, it's a different kind of relationship, but you still like want the best for them. And like, it's my goal to be like, fly little bird. You're on your own. Yay. Look at you go, you know? And so to hear some of the stuff can be really like, Oh, you're like, fuck that sucks. You know, true or false. Mm -hmm. Have you ever forgotten lunch? And when I'm in working. Yeah. And and what I'm getting to is, has ever like affect your work performance? Like, do you like when, when your sleep is bad? Mm, yes. Yes. True. Cause I'm human. I mean, there's been times where like, I'm not feeling the best. Like I feel like I'm fighting a cold. This is like pre COVID time where people, you know, you like go to work, you're fine. Now people are like, please stay away. But yeah, definitely have done that. I mean, the place that I worked at had like food right below. So like I would run oh. down and grab like a muffin or a granola bar, or a banana, something and be right. fine. But yeah, sleep definitely, or even like my own shit going on. Like if I had a really stressful time or like, I don't know, like my grandpa passed away and like, oh, you know, and then you have to like show up for people and you can cancel where you can, but it becomes, you know, you're like, oh, then that sucks for them. And, you know, so you do your best. We're still human, but yeah, not perfect by any means. I love it. I love it. That was fantastic. We came up with a few words. <laughs> I'm going to use Charles from I now on. Charles is good. You know, we need We need a third option. <laughs> How do you break up with a friend? Because we talk about breaking up with a therapist. I broke up with my barber. How do you break up with a friend? Is there levels to that? Depends. It depends on what happened. If there's a blow up fight and you're like, I never want to speak to you again. They're like, I never want to speak to you again either. Then you probably just don't speak to each other again. And that's okay. If it's more passive, which is usually the case where something happens, maybe we're not the best at communicating and they don't like to communicate. I mean, I've had friend breakups too. Some were more dramatic than others, but some of the ones that were the hardest were kind of these, like, I just think we grew apart ones. And I always encourage people, if you can, to get face to face. Like I had lunch with one of my friends and then was like, it's just not going to work. And it's not that I said that to her, like, it's just not going to work. We talked about this issue. We were having this argument, which you should do is try to communicate through it and keep it to yourself, like about yourself. I felt this way, not you made me you did this. It's like, I felt this way. And so I was hurt. And so I acted this way and I'm sorry. That's always a key to that talking it out. And if it's not going to work, you can let them know that, or you can slowly distance where you're just not as available, but at least try to communicate through the upset first. Don't just ghost. I think it's good practice for all of us to try communicating. I know uncomfortable conversations are things we try to avoid, but out of respect for yourself and the relationship and that other person, let's at least try to talk about it. I like that. Keep it to yourself. God, I'm stealing so much today. (laughs) This is the last question I ask everybody on here. And I always love to see what mental health professionals say to this question. Are you happy today? Mm. To be truthful, not really. I mean, happy today, yeah. But overall, to be honest, no. My husband and I moved to Austin from Santa Monica and I lived there for 20 years. And I'm like a Los Angelino, like in my blood, like I'm a city mouse. And I'm now in like a, it's not city. Let's just be honest. It's not a big city. And like, I love New York. Like I'm just a city person. I just need it. And so I haven't been like finding connection here and it's been hard. And so I told my husband, I was like, I have to go back. Like I have to figure out how to go back in some way. And so that's really the goal, you know, like. It, it takes work jobs. It takes moxie to say that to your partner. I got to go back. 
I cried mm-hmm. like crazy. Yeah, it was yeah, really hard. I cried too. You want to know what it is? I mean, we just interviewed somebody from Santa Monica on here right before mm-hmm. this. And I was like, Santa Monica was is one of those places that when you get in there, you're like, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I could do this. In like 20 years. This. Those are my people, you know, I'm like kind of a hippie, but also kind of bougie. But then I also like to like get juice after my yoga class and like everybody want, is friendly. It's just also the weather's nice. There's no mosquitoes. What? Like, no it's Hollywood. Just, yeah, it's just so nice. So yeah. Santa Monica is, is it's my people. It's, that was one of the only cities in America that I've been to. And I travel for stand up. I go to a lot of places, a lot mm-hmm. of places are beautiful and great. Santa Monica was literally one of the only places where, like, if someone told me I have to move here right now and live here forever, I think I could do it. You'd be like, I can handle it. <laughs> it just has the, yeah, I'm like you, though. It just has that mixture of, like, bougie, but, like, bohemian bouge. Mm-hmm. Which is, like, you know? my ideal kind of bouge. I love boho bouge. Yeah, you can, like, wear your pajamas or really dressed up. What do you feel like? I don't know. Yeah. When you wake up, you decide. <laughs> By Honda Civic? Or yeah. Alpha Male in the, in this on the same street, and you fit in just fine yeah. either way. You, you, they got they they literally have a Hyundai dealership and a Porsche dealership right next to each other. So I'm just like yep. you know wherever you're at in Santa Monica, we got you. Yeah, and you'll fit in just fine. We used to joke, my husband and I, are like let's play the game: homeless or famous. <laughs> that's, that's that's the beauty true. of it. You be. I will just, say the one thing that made me super sad though about California is the homeless. In New oh. York, you don't see like children homeless. That's part of the reason why we left. It was so sad. And the opioid crisis, God, as a oh, mental health professional, man. oh, talk about hurting my heart. So painful. So sad. Yeah. That too. And then, like, yeah, especially like if you're treating there, I'm sure you got to deal with pill chasers and all that type of shit. And it's, it's, and there's a whole nother like dichotomy that people don't even understand about like being yeah. a doctor. It's like, damn, like you have to weigh with that. It's like, this guy needs to be in a clinic, but like, is he going to go? I don't want to be I'm not saying you do this. I'm just saying, no, we'll go but yeah, I would be all over the place. You know, it's the yeah. human element of therapy. I think that people have a hard time grasping because it's, you know, you're supposed to know everything. It's like, I, I like the doctors that tell me they don't really fucking know. Yeah. Cause we on. don't always know everything. We're just people too. Just doing our best. Well, yeah. I, listen, I hope that getting back to Santa Monica is a good thing for you. Obviously, yeah. I've been to Austin, love Austin. I just don't like that I could wear shorts at 2 p.m. and then I need a fucking jacket at eight. It drives me nuts. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's not consistent. It me it's off. not consistent. <laughs> it's not consistent. And you want to know what it is? It's super gray. Mm-hmm. It's gray. Like yeah. the world is gray there. And I'm just like, <laughs> you know, it, I don't like the grayness. I need more of the, you know, all this light or nothing at all where can everybody find you all over social media it's just katie morton k-a-t-i-m-o-r-t-o-n i have two books i have workshops on my website katiemorton.com free videos i have a podcast ask katie anything you find me on the interwebs absolutely i always say this thank you so much for being on especially people that are licensed that come in here because these are real gems and jewels for like people to like oh you know what i'm gonna take that one thing from that one episode and and try to use it so i really appreciate you for not charging us (laughs) it's an amazing thing that you're doing keep doing what you're doing 
I love that you've been in the game for so long and you've got a follower in me. So I really appreciate you uh, being so transparent with me as well. Sometimes it's hard. I, I know for doctor patient privilege and stuff. So I really appreciate like being able to find a common ground with me today. I really appreciate it. Guys, you can find me at 101 OTC for the show. And then you can find me at Daniela Priori on Instagram and everywhere. And we will see you next time. Katie, thank you so much for spending the day with us. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for joining me on another episode of Off the Cuff, presented to you by 101 Life. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and send us some love with a review. And don't forget, we're all in this together and you're never alone. Peace. Fate Entertainment. Ah!